Welcome to Message in a Bottle. My name is Eleanor. It's been a while, um, so welcome back. For those of you who are new, a very brief summary of the podcast is that every week I will have um, a guest. The general criteria is someone under 30, someone just starting out in their in their field, exploring things, being open and, and learning. And I will ask them for a quote, so something they would underline in a book something they would tell other people, something they'd pass on to their children, something that's had an impact in their life. And then we will um, talk about what it means to them and how it came to to maybe change something and influence them. Um, and then the conversation kind of flows. So we hope that afterwards um, we've made you feel interested and at ease enough to want to come and hang out with us and, and have a pint. So my guest this week is Samir. He is my colleague at the London Sperm Bank. Uh, he is someone who wears many hats. Um, under his list of accolades is that he um, is an LGBTQ activist. Uh, he has been involved in things with the BBC. He's part of a charity that goes to schools to talk about um, representation. He's fascinating and has had a very interesting life so far. Um, you might recognise him from first dates, <laughs> as we'll talk about in the in the podcast. But yeah, it's it's very interesting, and um, I would I would recommend listening to it. Although I'm slightly biased. Anyway, I will stop talking now and yeah, introduce you to Sam. So, I never thought that I would be podcasting from a sperm bank, uh, yet here we are. Here we are. <laughs> so, I guess this location is, is what we have in common, really, it's how we met. Yeah. Um, so, just to get everyone up to speed, what, what do you do in the sperm bank? So, I've done a variety of things in the sperm bank. I've done... I've started... <laughs> <laughs> done a variety of things. No, odd statement. <laughs> not people, not people. <laughs> Uh, although people were a part of the job, uh -huh. um, so I did what you did initially when mm -hmm. I started. Um, so I am a donor recruitment officer. Um, I've been in this role for two months now, um, and basically my role is to uh, anyone who applies to the sperm bank as a donor, I contact them, take them through the screening process, the application process, and then um, if they're accepted onto the program, I sort of take them through that as well. Um, so you did that to start with? Did that to start with, yeah. Uh, and then I am more scientific mm -hmm. um, in certain areas. Because like you studied. Yeah, so I studied science to begin with. So it's biology, biology at okay. uni, I thought undergrad. And then I had no idea what I wanted to do. Well, initially I wanted to be a doctor as all brown kids. Mm -hmm. I told mm -hmm. them what to be. The doctor or um, lawyer scenario. The doctor or lawyer scenario. And... I, that was my path, you know, like growing up, that was literally the path that I, it was like almost as if from 11 years old, it was like, Sam's a doctor mm -hmm. and it was just expected me to be one. And so was I, there, was there like an aspect of that that you were more interested, like have you always been interested in fertility or was it just a doctor? No, it was just a doctor and I didn't know which area of medicine I wanted to go to, I thought I'll figure that out when I get there. And so everything I did through school, everything I studied, all the extracurricular and everything that I, you know, sort of um, was doing was essentially to build up a good university application okay. um, for medicine, which was successful in the end, right? But, but you then, got to uni. Sorry? You got to uni. You got to uni, 
But unfortunately, um, you know Casidi conditional offers? Yes. Um, so my conditional offer was at Manchester University and you needed three A's to get in and I got two A's and one B. Okay. And I remember being so devastated. I was going to say, it. how did that? That was awful. I was so devastated. And it kicked off a lot of, to go deep, right the deep end, it kicked off a lot of uh, mental health issues that did. Right. Um, so it wasn't a great time. Because and it's imagine, bad, isn't it? Yeah. Because a B is from, from A level is... A brilliant great like, which I know now yeah, right now I'm like yeah, yeah absolutely but at the time right. it's the yeah. be all and end all hey? yeah exactly literally the be all and end all <laughs> but <laughs> yeah so it felt, it felt awful didn't get into medicine and then I was like what do I do now what do I do now and then um, I decided to do human biology because I was like well that's the closest degree it is to then I can still do postgrad mm. um, and that was at the University of Birmingham which I got through in clearing Okay. And um, so that's another stressful experience of like yeah. waiting to see if you're going to get it, and yeah. the time frame is slightly shifted. But funnily enough, I remember I was so distraught that day, and I was upset that I had to go through clearing because essentially I was put on this like academic pedestal by like, my family mm -hmm. and at school as well. Were you the first in your family to go to uni? Yeah. Was that yeah. pressure? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was the first. Okay. Um, so that's another brother, type of yeah, pressure. Have another brother who didn't go to university who actually left school without. Um, well, with one GCSE, which was a dean drama. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of that Russell Howard thing when he's talking about Prince Harry with his education at Eton, and what was it? He got like a an E in something, and then a B in art, and he's like, I can, I can, I know about hills, and I can kind of draw. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they invested that much in his education. Yeah, anyway. that was my brother. He's like, I can just about act, <laughs> and then so then there's me, um, and I had that academic pedestal. Um, and so, yeah, it, it felt really shit to go through clearing, mm. even though looking back now, just like, if anything, that saved my life mm. um, and put me back on track. And I remember being on the phone to the woman at <laughs> the clearing office, and um, I told her my GCSE grades, I had seven A stars and four A's. Wow. And then... Um, hey, wait, yeah, same. Is that what you exactly had? the same. Okay, cool. Exactly the same. This is why I've ended up in the same school. Oh, <laughs> oh serendipity. Yeah. Meant, to, meant to meet. So yeah, you're basically the white female most of me. <laughs> On the I'll ground that. I'll that. <laughs> uh, and so then yeah and then a woman on the phone was like okay i'm just gonna make you an offer over the phone i would advise you to not apply elsewhere if you want to come to this university so i was like is that normal <laughs> um and then yeah no, it's one like, of those things that's like is this dodgy like yeah like, like, I'm like, yeah shall i just go by this and then i did that and it was in third year we learned about fertility and ivf and Throughout most of my degree, I realised that there's not many aspects of biology that I was genuinely so intrigued with. Mm. It was intriguing, but nothing that like tickled me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing that like sparked that yeah. interest to. I guess it's that difference between I can sit in a lecture and learn about it, but I'm not going to do my own research. At yeah, home. absolutely. But then when we started learning about fertility and how humans were actually made mm. artificially in a way. Um, then I was like, wow, this is, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And um, then the guy, I think it was more so the lecturer who pitched it to us because he had an MBE for his services in Androgy. Because he was a really cool guy, Dr. Kirkman Brown. Jackson, Jackson's in his name somewhere, but I don't know if that's his last name or <laughs> first name. It all sounds like one last yeah, name, Jackson yeah, Kirkman Brown. It does. Um, and so then I remember he was very inspiring. He, uh, it he, makes a difference with the lecturer, yeah. like you know if they love their subject. Absolutely, and he received an OBE or an MBE for basically going out to Afghanistan and being able to extract sperm from soldiers who had wounds where their 
their testicles and their legs basically been ripped off. Wow. So he was able to go there and salvage sperm from the testicular tissue that was left um, after they'd had severe injuries. Um, and then, you know, be able to provide them with treatment later. Um, there's more about it on Google and stuff. That's that, that might not yeah. all be correct in terms of what I said, but it was along those lines. Mm -hmm. So then he received an MBE for that. And I remember being really inspired and like, well, that is incredible like, to be able to give that person the gift of life, you know, to it's a chance to have a child. Um, and so I thought, hey, if as a doctor I'm not going to save lives, as a biologist, can sort of help create mm -hmm. them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I went down that route. And so now here I am as an andrologist. So, yeah, so what is your role now? So my role now is basically to analyse the, um, the sperm samples. To, um, it's called a semen analysis, and then you freeze the sperm, test it, see if it reacts well to being frozen, and then that sort of determines if the donor is accepted or if they're rejected. From the program and also then um, telling men how the quality of their sperm ready and, and then giving them advice based off of that and helping the doctor essentially manage their fertility treatment from the the report that we generated based on what you know and um, they've produced yeah so yeah sperm 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 it is it's, yeah. it's so fascinating and obviously as, as you well know there's the, the particular interest for me being an IVF baby yeah. uh, donor egg and sperm so being here in this environment kind of on the other side of it and seeing what the donors are like, what the process is like, mm -hmm. how much has probably changed over the last 25 years, it's, it's really interesting. So yeah, I was, I was saying to you earlier, I'm really excited to sort of get into this podcast because I feel like we know each other's surface lives really well, we talk about anything and everything, mm -hmm. neither of us have much of a filter. Um, and that happened within a day of knowing you as well. I know, you but, learned so much about me. Yeah, but you know what's really weird is at this place, you're not the first person that's done that. <laughs> when I started, I knew things about all the other, all my other colleagues within two days. It's mad, isn't it? I think it's just because we work in such a... People who come here are so vulnerable mm. that I think we almost feel... Not an obligation at all, but it's, it's a space where you you feel safe to be vulnerable mm -hmm. as well and when you're working with these people in such I don't know mm -hmm. but um, I think it's also the fact that because this is um, it's not what's the opposite conservative do you know what I mean liberal it's yeah you know and so you would assume that open everybody work, open, yeah, yeah. You would assume that everybody working here is a liberal yeah. is of liberal mind that's true of a liberal mindset mm -hmm. <laughs> but I just uh, so. yeah but I feel like although we know these kind of juicy details yeah. We haven't spent much time together outside of work. No. You did come to support me in my open mic night, yeah. much appreciated. Um, and I, yeah, I'm interested to get to, to know you a bit more in terms of like your actual thought processes yeah. and maybe how you've reached where you are now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do you do you have a quote ready? I your, do. Your message in a bottle. My message in a bottle. <laughs> um, do you like me to? Yeah, yeah. Go so something that really stuck out to me. Um, which um, helped me with uh, coming out when I was younger was um, a quote, uh, which I don't, I don't know who said it, I don't know where I read it, I can't remember, mm -hmm. to be honest. I'm sure if you've been interested in people. Yeah. <laughs> it said, it was along the lines of, um, society isn't a separate entity, you are society. Mm -hmm. And that then made me realise that I have the ability to formulate an opinion that I think society ought to have yeah. because I am You're society, part I'm part of it and I shouldn't um, build walls around myself based on what people have told me society think because if I'm part of society and I think separately, moving, yeah, 
part of this culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think because you told me, you told me two quotes that you're thinking of saying. Yeah. And that one, like, I, like, both times you said it, I've kind of got that shiver and yeah. kind of holy shit moment because I've not heard that before. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so, we put so much pressure on ourselves to fit this model and it's this constant state of comparison of like, if I'm not this, then I'm this. Mm-hmm. And if I'm this, then I can't be this. But like, actually, the point of culture, the point of society is that it, it changes and mm-hmm. it grows and moves and develops. And it's, it's a living, breathing thing, you know? I love it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So you say that it helps you come out. Um, yeah. So what's the story there? How, how old were you, firstly, <sighs> well, when you first kind of realised that you, you were gay? Or that, so did this... you know that that was... Did you know that terminology at the time no, that you felt those no, things? No, no, absolutely not. Um, my realisation is quite young actually, mm-hmm. and some people are surprised by this. And I'm still yet to find another gay person who knew as young as I did. Okay. Um, but I knew when I was eight years old. Um, and the reason I can put a number on it and know it was that young because I remember there being a boy in the class at primary school who I remember having more than just friendly feelings for. Okay. Um, and that's... and when you say that, at eight years old, I guess the sexual feelings might not be as yeah. It wasn't. So what kind of feelings were they? It was more like I I looked forward to seeing him every day, um, and it just that's what I can remember really. Just wanting to be around it's him. Just a different yeah. It was a different connection that I had to him more than I had to my female friends yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, I guess. It's a bit weird to describe romantic when you're a child, you know, because it isn't romance, but it's... And I guess when you're a child as well, it's really hard to put into words because at the time, you probably don't have the terminology for mm. that. So someone's asking you to explain your feelings, and at that time you didn't have those words, so to try and find those words now, mm-hmm. it's not like you, you grew up putting those labels on things. It's a very adult thing to do, I think, to try and analyse... Everything. But here's the thing, I always get surprised as well when I was thinking about it um, myself that funnily enough I knew not to mention it. Interesting. Yeah, so as an eight year old ah. boy who knew that he liked this boy more than I liked anybody else, I knew that I had a, same, a, a, a sort of a, a baseline level of same sex attraction, I knew not to say anything because everybody around me would talk about boys and girls, boys and girls, mm-hmm. moms and dads, um, and that was it. Right, I almost have brothers and sisters in. I was like, wait, wait, wait. No, not that. I'm glad you do that line. <laughs> I'm open minded, but that yeah, line is a, a little bit possible. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just remember knowing it's anything because I had a best friend at the time who was female. As all of my best friends are, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always been naturally just, I've developed better friendships with women than I do with men. Um, and I think that does come from a sort of internalised. Um, fear of ostracisation by a straight man, but right. that's a whole different thing. Uh, but yes, I've always been uh, very friendly with females, and my best friend at the time was a girl. And people would always put us together: you two are boyfriend and girlfriend, mm. boyfriend and girlfriend. No one it's ever said. It's kind of sick, isn't it? Yeah. How adults do that? Like even two-year-olds, they're like, "Oh, this is his girlfriend." Yeah, <laughs> like, they're putting two. Yeah, it's two, right? And the kids in the class would do that, and even my teachers would be like, "Oh, you two boyfriend and girlfriend," mm. like you know, and nobody ever said. Oh, you two boyfriend and boyfriend, you two girlfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. Same sex representation just was never there. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, it was always mom and dad and boyfriend and girlfriend. So I almost knew that it was too different to not say, right? Um, so that was weird. 
Uh, and then I guess that then started off when I knew I was going. It's interesting what you're saying about like teachers mm -hmm. and then people at school because I've had this sort of struggle recently where I was seeing someone um, and there was like aspects that it bothered me that these, these specific things bothered me um, because they were very gender stereotypical. Uh, yeah. kind of very cis man, cis woman like and I remember talking to my friend and really berating myself and saying like gender's just a construct like it's literally just society that's told me this is how it should be and I should be able to overcome this because I'm a very self-aware person I read all this stuff and I'm kind of aware of these issues and then I started thinking like actually exactly like society has told me this stuff for 25 years like feeding me things unconsciously like through media through school through teachers like and even my, my parents are very open-minded and very liberal and and they've been amazing with my education but you know as soon as you get to school your parents don't have the biggest say like it's mm -hmm. your peers it's your teachers and so when they're teaching you these things too of course you're going to absorb it like mm -hmm. and it's so important to be aware that that's an issue, but not to beat yourself up too much as long as you're trying to educate yourself, yeah. I think. I yeah, I agree. And um, funny enough, you mentioned about teachers. Um, I have very... You mentioned about teachers. I mentioned that you mentioned about yeah. teachers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned I mentioned about teachers. Um, because I have had two experiences with my teachers um, regarding sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them is one that always sticks with me and I never forget it. Um, it's because I was I wasn't a very straight acting kid, should we say? Because before I then started to realise the consequences of my flamboyancy as a child, oh, okay. I was very So open. it was kind of before you felt you had to filter yourself. Yeah, right. exactly. And yeah. so how old roughly were you? About eleven, so when I started secondary Jesus, school. That's so and sad I went to, that it was like you were that young. Yeah. You? And I went um, to a boys' school as well, so it was more noticeable. Mm -hmm. Um, because before I could, as I said, I could get away with becoming friends with girls and then everybody just, it, it is what it is, do you know what I mean? Whereas with, um, with secondary schools or boys, uh, I was able to make friends with boys, but then I was noticeably very feminine compared to the other boys, um, which you probably wouldn't think now. Um, so when, when you say things like very feminine, how do you define that? Like, well, in terms of the stuff that was my bit, interests, yeah. um, the things that I would say, um, I was just, I was, I guess I was more camp as a kid. Mm -hmm. When I watched back videos of myself as a child, I do think, wow, you were really camp. Interesting. Um, but that's not a part of me anymore, which mm -hmm. I find really strange. And I do wonder, like, why did that happen? Um, and how much of it is, like, an unconscious... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't change anything. I, just, I like how I am today, so... I like who you are. Yeah, so it's not... <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not too upset about that. But I remember the teacher, who was himself homophobic, obviously then didn't take um, a liking to me. And I remember him saying, I don't know what brought on the conversation, I don't know why he said this, but I just remember that it impacted me very negatively. And it was, I was 11 years old, I was year 7, he was my form tutor, um, and he just sat at the front of the class and then he was yapping on. And he was saying, oh, I just think gay people are enough, I just think they're, I think they're awful. And then he pulled a face. Oh my goodness. Mm. And I just, and now as an adult thinking back, it infuriates me at his lack of understanding that there would be gay children statistically yeah, there would the, be gay people yeah. in his class and it's almost as if he knew that like i was 
going down that music and going he was down always trying to yeah it, you know? right and that Man, that's horrendous. and he's saying that to um a group of impressionable 11 years old 11 year olds and a teacher is the voice of authority yeah that's that's their sort of purpose in school i guess mm -hmm. and so not only did he make you feel isolated and horrendous but mm -hmm. he's telling those boys that those opinions and homophobia is endorsed exactly. by a person in authority. So then, when they started going and saying things like, "Oh, that's gay," or "Oh, so and so is mm -hmm. gay," it's it's a it, it becomes an insult. Yeah, and for them, it's normal to because I oh, Mister whatever said it, then um, it's fine. Um, and then, ironically, he went on to become the head of the anti-bullying committee, um, which was even worse. It really scares me that there's people like that in, in authority. And I've always wanted to go back to that school, and because um, now I volunteer with charity, a charity called Just Like Us, um, which um, sends volunteers out to schools mainly across London but it is up in Birmingham as well to deliver LGBT talks um, and just basically be a representative role model to anybody in the class who might be LGBT mm -hmm. and to educate the straight children about allyship and how being an ally and how understanding LGBT issues can actually be beneficial to the people around them and how in the real world and in um, you know the world outside of school being gay is normal, being bisexual, yeah. being trans, mm -hmm. being pan, daily, whatever you are. Um, is completely normal, you know. So I do that now. It's something we've spoken about before, kind of in the in the same vein as um, representation and allyship. That there is a rugby club in Dalston, um, and I went with a group of friends, and only there weren't that many of us who identify um, as LGBTQ. And at the door, because because we were a big group, I think they sort of stopped us and said, you know, "How many of you? This this club is a gay club." Mm -hmm. And they stopped us and said, you know, how many of you identify as this? And only a few of us put our hands up. And it took a sort of bit of a discussion, but they let us through and got through the door. Me. I know. <laughs> 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 I know. Um, but we got inside and then some of the individuals that identify as straight were kind of quite, not angry, more um, infuriated mm -hmm. and saying, that's outrageous that they asked us that. Yeah, because like, it makes them feel unwelcome, but that's not how yeah, it should be. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, so they they were sort of, their argument was, you would never hear that in a pub. Imagine mm -hmm. if they stopped people in a normal club, normal mm -hmm. in air quotes, mm -hmm. um, and, and asked them, oh, do you identify as straight? If not, mm -hmm. you can't come in. And I was shocked that they had this opinion because mm -hmm. they don't need a safe space. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have to ask those questions and every space would be completely inclusive. But at the moment, the way things are, like, people do need a safe space to feel that they can go in a community that's yeah. supportive, that is open. Yeah. And straight, fully straight people do not need that space. Like, of course they don't ask you in clubs because that is kind of unspoken that that's what it is, yeah. you know? And it... Yeah, I, I was really surprised at how many of my very open-minded and educated friends were shocked yeah. and offended by I that. I think it's also a safety thing as well, Yeah. just to yeah. ensure that nobody homophobic enters. Um, because even though, you know, it is, it's, it is a place for everybody, and you know, anybody with That's negative the thing, like, I think like, if it had been a quieter night, you know, yeah. blah, 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 but that club is a gay club, mm. and so they prioritise the welfare, the comfort and the safety. Yeah. Of and as a gay person, that community. I, I totally understand that because, for example, with Manchester Pride coming up as well, you know, people were quite upset actually about Ariana Grande being a headliner 
and that. Why? Why? Because even though I fully support it, and because she and, is not. Well, she's straight, uh-huh. and so she doesn't identify as LGBT. But her brother is. Um, Frankie? Frankie, yeah. So he's. Gay. I can't believe I know that. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking that was a bit as well. <laughs> so, so he's gay, and he, um, yeah. So he's 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 quite very gay actually, mm-hmm. um, and so he, you know, being her brother. Um, would obviously inform her of LGBTQ issues, and I'm sure she's aware of all of herself through him, and is an, and she's mentioned so many times how much she's an ally and has done work for the LGBT community um, in American charities and stuff. So I'm totally on board with that, and I'm, I'm happy for her to be headliner. But people were also annoyed at the fact that you know, and I saw a tweet that went viral at the time saying, "There's a girl in my class who um, has openly been homophobic to me and my girlfriend, and now she's boasting about how she's got tickets to see Ariana Grande at Manchester Pride." Right. And she was, and to me that did upset me because it is infuriating when you know that you know somebody is homo- is casually homophobic. Mm-hmm. That not everybody is actually homophobic because phobia is a strong word to use. But it's kind of an internalized bias. Yeah. I think like I even you know think back to year eight or nine when I used gay as an insult. Yeah. Like oh that's so gay. But even I did. And I'm horrified now. Yeah. But at the time it didn't seem anything amiss because mm. that was just part of the vocabulary. And exactly. then I vividly remember the time that I saw I'd never ever use it in that context context again. Yeah. I was walking home with a friend and it came out, something was gay, something was this. And the person in front of me I knew was gay. And I just remember pausing and thinking, oh shit. Yeah. And the the shame that I feel felt at that moment was that that was kind of what taught me that Actually, no, there is there something there is something wrong with using using that word yeah. when I feel the shame for using it in yeah. front of someone who identifies exactly, as gay. Exactly. Yeah. And ever since that was it, that was my moment. And as a gay person, I, I feel so powerful in that moment. <laughs> it happened recently yeah. when my brother's friend uh, was mentioning about um, the tattoo my brother was going to get, and um, he was oh has has he showed you the design he wants? And I said um, yeah he has I kind of like it because yeah because it's really gay isn't it? And I said it's what. And then there was a moment of silence, then he realised, the penny dropped, and then he was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And it's moments like that, like that happened with you, that then stop people from using that word, because they then realise, oh, actually, it is insulting, and, you know, um, they see the impact of it directly on a gay person, so. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, so I was kind of wanting to go back to your quote a little bit, and yeah. the, the sort of idea about society and culture, so if if you kind of accepted then that you have some power within yourself to shape mm-hmm. culture and society, what is it? What are your aims? Like, what would you hope that would change? So my aim is, and now I'm a bit of a realist. I'm so I don't see it happening in my lifetime. But my mm-hmm. aim is is to make um, to basically eradicate homophobia, right, and to. Um, ideally make an environment and a society within which kids don't have to come out, kids don't have to face mental health issues regarding their sexuality and you and really specifically within the Asian community mm. that it's not going to be eradicated there but the fact that there's an awareness and there's not an, assu- an awareness of LGBT issues and there's not an assumption that your child is straight and there's not an assumption that your child will marry a man or your child will marry a woman of the of, of, you know what yeah, whichever one's the opposite gender, and they won't enter a heterosexual relationship and live a heteronormative lifestyle, because in Asian culture growing up in it. So, 
what's your heritage? What's your so my, my ethnicity is Indian and mm -hmm. um, I was born here. Um, my dad was also born here, but to Indian parents. And okay. um, my mom is from India, so my dad and my mom married um, in a very romantic way. So my, <laughs> I feel like that's sarcastic. Yeah, it is sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad's parents um, found out about my mom. It's a very traditional. This is a very traditional okay. way of Indian people getting married. Still happens in India today. Still happens in Indian families in England today. Um, not so common uh, anymore. But it does happen, and um, so my dad's parents heard of my mom through um, family friends, and in India there's a caste system, mm -hmm. right? And we're all belong to the same caste, and then you know there's a person of that caste who knows, you know, all the eligible bachelors and all that sort of stuff, and so my grandparents then on my dad's side met up with my grandparents on my mother's side, mm -hmm. went to their house, and basically went door to door shopping. <laughs> Wow. Because my my mum has two other sisters, and um, they chose in, between the three. In Indian culture, the eldest daughter has to get married first. Right. Okay. Um, and so naturally, it had to be my mum, uh, based on that tradition. But um, again, um, due to uh, annoying colorism uh, that is prevalent in Indian society, um, they didn't want my mum. They wanted my mum's younger sister, who was lighter skin, um, which I think is awful. But my gra my granddad on my mum's side said. Um, no, my oldest daughter has to get married first. So then he gave a photo um, to my dad's to my dad's parents. They then gave the photo of my dad to my mom's parents, and then the photos were presented to each of them without them ever having met each other. My dad being in England, my mom being in India, not knowing what she looked like, just knowing his parents mm -hmm. flew, yeah, to to go see this woman, saw the picture. Then they just were asked, uh, well, not really asked, but. Um, yeah, Indian parents tend to ask, but they're, trying, they're actually telling you what they you, have to do. And they said, do you want to get married to this person? And they both said, yeah. And then they met on their wedding day. I mean, that's married. almost as romantic as if your first date's appearance had turned out more successful. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> my favourite fact about you. So Sam is on YouTube under Channel 4's first date oh, clip. promote with, that. What's the title? Uh, I think most it's like, awkward something. Yeah. Most awkward date ever, question mark, question yeah. mark. You should watch it. It's um, it is very awkward. It already has two hundred fifty thousand views. <laughs> I think, I think knowing you as I know you, your expressions are priceless because I know what you'd have been thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's very oh, lovely. Um, that was an experience. We'll get on to that later. Okay. Okay. But yes, yeah, so, um, talking about my mom and my dad. Yes, they're romantic. Wedding. So then, where was it going from there? Um, you were then going to talk about uh, sort of. Within, we were talking about your heritage because yeah. your goal um, within Asian communities to reduce the concept of heteronormativity. Yeah. 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 Oh, so my background, yeah, so that's, um, so my dad met my mum um, through that way, and then they, and my mum moved to England to be with him. And then, yeah, I was born nine months after their birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my dad's on the September 21st, mom's on September 22nd. It's when you can like trace back to yeah. when you were conceived. And I was, <laughs> I was born June 23rd, so that, hmm. I mean, I was conceived in a test tube, so. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or in a, no, what's it called, Petri dish? A Petri dish, yeah, you're not so, a test tube. Very yeah. romantic. Very, very romantic. <laughs> um, but, so, how, because I know that you're obviously very comfortable now with your sexuality. Yeah. And comfortable talking about it and, and doing like speeches and things how was like did you have a moment of coming out to them or did they sort of already yeah. know or 
So I did have the coming out moments to each individual member of my family, so right. mom, dad, and brother. Um, not big family, it's just them three. Uh, I did have a coming out moment, but there was an element of them knowing, um, because as I said, I was a flamboyant mm -hmm. child. My parents have a video of me as a kid, like imitating this um, Bollywood actress, um, and a scene with him, which is very, you know, like flamboyant and very feminine, and mm -hmm. I'm in her hands, and like, and I was doing an imitation of that, and I used to love doing that. And there was a there was a video. That's uh, beautiful. I would love to see yeah, that. Yeah, there was a <laughs> there was there was a music video for a film called Devdas, which is an India's equivalent of Romeo and Juliet, essentially. Okay. It's like that most famous love story. Um, and there's an actress in there who dances to a song called Marada, which some Indian people that are listening would probably know that. And she's on the she's in heavy like Indian embroidered. Um, it's not a sari, it's a suit, and um, she has a scarf. And then she's on the floor, and the scarf's like all perfectly around, around her. her. Yeah, and then she does all these dance moves. <laughs> and then I was, I remember that when we were brother home alone, I would like be like, uh, his name's Amir or Amir, and I was like, look, look, look at what I can do. And I was doing the dance, and he recorded me, and then he showed my mom. And I think from those moments, they kind of uh, knew that um, I wasn't the most um, <clears throat> heterosexual. Yeah, the most heterosexual boy. Uh, yeah, so, and um, also all my friends were girls um, as well, and then they thought that when I went to a boys' school, my friends were boys, I'd, oh actually, he does like boy things, and he, you know, but even then, um, I would take my male friends that I had at the time to go to the cinema and watch High School Musical 3, to go to a Lady Gaga Which concert. Which singing in the library the other day. <laughs> I took them to a Lady Gaga concert, they wanted to go with me, right? It's so interesting, I think... This, this sort of idea of heteronormativity and what is normal for, for you know, in, in, again, in air quotes, masculine behaviour. Yeah. Because I remember I have seen various friends and various acquaintances, this is a, an interesting example, but on uh, when they've taken MDMA. Mm -hmm. And I think for them this experience has been completely overwhelming because mm -hmm. they suddenly have access to this part of themselves in that they feel more able to express their emotions mm -hmm. and they are telling their male friends that they love them and being very genuine and very affectionate and very yeah. open and this drug sort of becomes this gateway to be able to do that because yeah. they don't feel that they can yeah. in in day-to-day -day life they feel like they have to protect these feelings and that yeah. they don't want to come across as you know, soppy and emotional. Yeah, and and so they rely on things like drugs, on alcohol as well, because it lowers your inhibitions. Yeah. Because it it gives them this opportunity to expose these feelings that they feel, but they just don't have the the language or the I guess internal permission to express them. Yeah. So the fact that your friends wanted to go to Lady Gaga, yeah. it's almost as though you were that gateway drug. I was that gateway. You were yeah, yeah. you were MDMA for them. You gave them that chance to yeah. that, that excuse and to do it. That I feel that now in my day to day life when right. I when I do talk to men, I'm not the kind of man where I'll make small talk about football and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I will ask them the real questions that they most likely would want to talk about. And that they are, and make them feel like they're in an open safe space to do well, so. I think that's why you were very successful as a as a junior recruitment officer yeah. because you could you, oh. you could create those relationships with yeah. people. Um, you skip the, the small talk, skip the bullshit. Yeah, and I feel like men don't. You know, I was asking um, the guys about you know general emotional questions. Like one of the guys um, 
uh, one of the donors, I was about to say his name. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. One of the donors, um, he was a very manly man. He had such a manly job as well. Um, and the more he chatted to me, the more I was just myself and asked him all these like, you know, diff different questions about his family and like sort of emotional stuff. He then began to open up more and more every visit. And then he started saying to me about how he really, really enjoyed arriving to the sperm bank because that was his highlight of the week. So he could have a chat with me because he felt like he couldn't talk and open up about his feelings to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel like so incredible. It made me feel like I'm doing the right thing in life at the moment right mm -hmm. now. Because for him to, because he was alone, his family and lived elsewhere. It's, it's one of those things like, even if you, impact on one person yeah like one person is a very big deal yeah you know it doesn't have to be life-changing and world-changing and you saying the things you want to do like you kind of you accept that it's probably not going to happen in your lifetime but yeah. it's that importance of knowing the value of every drop mm -hmm. because it's such a cliche but you know a drop turns into an ocean like if enough is added yeah and so if you're willing to sacrifice things and put, make yourself vulnerable put things out there yeah. consistently over time like that will so add up um i think it's very very cool vulnerability is is an absolutely is probably one of the best forms of yeah. connecting with other human beings you know um and i think more people should be open to that you know and i find out that people who judge vulnerability the most are the ones who really wish that they could be just mm -hmm. as vulnerable um because they're just not comfortable doing it themselves. And it's, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it should be, you know, because why can't we say stuff like that? Why do we need a drug to say, I love you to yeah. someone? And I think yeah. that's also why we all have this perception of society as an exclusionary thing and yeah. something that we want to belong to rather than something that we're part of. Because yeah. vulnerability isn't there in many cases. And so we don't have these kind of conversations no. so in our heads we're very much on the outside you know yeah that reminds me of uh, another passion of mine is mm -hmm. to i'm a big advocate for men's mental health as well um so you you mentioned um university you're not getting into your first yeah. choice yeah cause some so i i didn't know about any of this yeah if you're don't oh, absolutely, yeah. you're comfortable yeah, yeah absolutely I, I talk about this all the time uh because i think i offended it's taken two months <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I have all the YouTube videos out there. Should have said that. Should have referred to that. Should have done my research. Yeah, should have done research. No, but um, yeah, so I'm a big advocate for men's mental health. Um, I've written my own blog post on it as well mm -hmm. um, on my website. Cause yes, so I will put a link to your socials. That would be great. Uh, so if anyone wants to sort of yeah. find this blog, find your Instagram, which is very dapper, I have to say. Thank you. They are welcome to. Yeah, so Brilliant. Continue. So, yeah, when I was a teenager, um, specifically at the time of going to university, so 18. Um, it's, I think it started when I was about 17, really. Um, so it lasted from about 17 to when I was 20 years old. I had a really bad period of depression. Mm -hmm. It was really, really, really bad. Um, really bad to the point where I would be crying in public places. Oh, maybe <laughs> um, sad. Yeah, so I remember my mum, the worst of it was when there was this one particular period where my mum really, really saw like a huge change in my personality and just me being so quiet. Um, and she used to try her best to take me out and make me happy because she, I couldn't tell her why I felt bad. Um, because although it was the um, university shock and you know, the carpet being literally being pulled up from underneath my feet when my main goal in life was to become a doctor and that's been taken away, you know, 
so there's that and then also the sexuality issues that I, you know, um, was so, um, which I couldn't essentially share. So you know? yeah, that was, yeah. that was our point earlier, we kind of missed it completely. Yeah, we did, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were about to about coming out to yeah. Um So because of obviously that not being able to tell them uh, and the suffering, the consequences of dealing with, being in the closet essentially um, by myself, it led to a really, really bad period of depression and I just, it was annoying because I couldn't tell her why. She would always ask me why, why are you like this, why are you feeling like this, just tell me, I, tell, I can't tell you, I can't tell you. And then she just gave up after a while, like, he's not telling me what's wrong with him. Um, and I think at that point my dad started to realise that maybe there is uh, right. some sexuality issues, okay. but he, he still didn't ask. Um, and yeah, so she would take me out shopping and I remember I was in H&M doing the ball ring and I just started crying. Um, because she was just asking me, like, do you like this? Should we buy this? Try this on. And I just remember that, like, I just didn't, I just felt like everybody was looking at me and judging. I felt like a dark cloud was above mm -hmm. my head and that people could literally see that I was feeling the way that I felt. Um, and I felt so weak as a human being, so worthless, so just, I didn't feel like life was worth living. And I felt like everybody else around me just wouldn't care if I wasn't there because I felt like I failed because I didn't get into uni um, for medicine, so maybe my family were upset with me, even though they weren't. I convinced myself that they were. And I was convinced that society would not accept me because I'm a gay man. And um, the religious community that I belong to would accept me for sure. Uh, Which religious community? So I grew up Muslim. So I felt that they wouldn't accept me. I'm, you know, hearing the stuff that you hear at school, I was like, my peers wouldn't accept me for being gay. Um, and so I just felt that, well, what is even the point in life? So you really? felt very much out of society. Yeah, felt pretty much out of society. Out of every society that you could have belonged to, I yeah. guess. Every aspect of my life was homophobic, right? Nobody ever said anything that was positive towards right. gay people. Um, and then, so I felt like, well, if I'm... And I knew, because my mum's very um, traditional and very... Uh, her, her success in life is based off her family achievements, her familial achievements, as is, you know, most Indian parents. So she wanted me to be a perfect son, to have got a great job and then married a, an Indian woman, had the perfect nuclear family, and I just knew that I could never do that for her. And even if I did go through with that, I felt like I was going to betray this, a woman that I was going to be married to mm -hmm. was going to betray mm -hmm. her entire existence by, you know, marrying this woman, lying to her for her entire life, that I don't yeah. love her. You know, and I felt that, and I, I was feeling these feelings. And I guess then there's also that question of if you have children within that relationship, yeah. what kind of message would you be telling the children? Exactly. Like, I want you to be yourself, but yeah, I'm not being myself. I'm not being myself, <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking about these things constantly from the age of 15. Fuck. And then the not getting into uni thing, that failure, the first ever failure I'd ever, right. I'd ever, um, like concrete academic yeah, failure, failure that I'd yeah. ever experienced in my life, because as I said, I was, I was, I was on academic pedestal for most of my teenage life, um, and that failure, it just catapulted, and then my friends moving away, the ones that I did have, mm -hmm. um, who were like, you know, um, all, um, so the closest friends I could have at the time, they were moving away to university, I was essentially, I felt even more alone mm -hmm. as well, and that was a completely different environment, I wasn't ready for university, I wasn't ready for that and I just felt like I, life just wasn't worth living yeah. and I felt depressed. Um, and so having gone through that and knowing that how societal attitudes towards men's mental health made me feel, how societal attitudes towards 
gay people made me feel and how specifically Indian societal attitudes made me feel. And now being at the other end of it and, and having survived all of that and, and, you know, I just feel like, well, I don't want anybody to go through that yeah. ever because that was such an awful period. I was like, life is... I feel like that those years of my life, which were supposed to be like my young foolish years where I could make mistakes and, and be happy and go out and do stupid things and like enjoy myself, I feel like they've been wasted now, mm. right? Although in a way, it's, it's weird because I do feel like I had to go through that to become the person I am now because I'm really happy with who I yeah. am now, right? I think it's one of those things, I have it too, in that I would never wish anything that I went through on another human mm. being, but I don't regret that I went through it because it's helped me get to where I am. Yeah. But now I feel like if I can do anything to mean that someone doesn't have to go through yeah. that to reach the same point yeah. of happiness, then, I want to help them. then yeah. I'm going to try and do that. So then that's when I realised, through that period of depression, the quote, Mm-hmm. Uh, or when I saw the quote, yeah. and then that's when everything changed. Like, so that, oh. was, that was what you'd have underlined in a book, hey? yeah. like, this is, this is everything. That was one of the defining moments, yeah. yeah. And then that helped me to then come out to my parents. So yeah, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. How was it? How did you, how old were you? I didn't realise you were, what, 20? 21? When you came out to them? How old were yeah, you? Yeah, I was 20, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know why. I think because you're so comfortable now, Yeah. I had it in my head. That, well, I had no idea you'd gone through these struggles for yeah. one. I guess, yeah, it's the danger of assuming. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I was 20, I'm 24 now, turning 25 in a couple of weeks. Uh, and I was 20 when I Makes came out. Makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. <laughs> uh, I was 20, 20 when I came out to my dad first. So my dad was the first person which surprised a lot of people because um, everybody who thinks sons will tell their moms first and tell your dad is harder because he's a man. Having to tell your dad that you... Can you be vulgar on this? Can you, can, can I what? Can I say a vulgar word? Yeah. Yeah. Telling your dad that you like to suck dick is really hard, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which is, which I is, hope you didn't use those no, words for him. I think what I will, I even if you told your mum that you liked doing the opposite, I think she'd be quite <laughs> mortified. <laughs> so. But yeah, I always say this to all of my friends, and the moment hasn't arisen with you yet where I have to say this, but it's, it's almost like, when I'm with somebody, and with most of my friends it's happened, where they're going through a period of tough time, where they're like, Mom, Mom, for example, one of my friends, she was dating a, um, a boy who wasn't the same religion, who wasn't the same nationality and all that sort of stuff, and she was like, my parents would freak out because I need to marry a traditional Indian boy who, who's the same religion, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at her and I said, look, if I can sit opposite my dad and tell him I like to suck dick, you can tell your dad anything. <laughs> And that's why it's not everybody who doesn't use struggling that a lot. I love that that is your, is your yardstick. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you measure every difficult thing you <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah, and I do measure that to everything else that I'm hard Is it like, like half of that experience or is it like closing on 70% of that experience? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I use that as a measure of everything else that plays in life. So I just say, well, you told dad, you looked in the eye and you basically give me so that you like stuff dick so you can do this. And you didn't die then, so you're not going to die now. <laughs> you can do this, come on. <laughs> so that's kind of... Um, that, that is my own quote that inspires me, really. I hope, I hope that someone takes this. Yeah. And if ever they're asked that question, what is your quote? What is your motivational quote? <laughs> so this one time I heard somebody say... Did you turn to Samir? I don't know why they have an American accent. Could you imagine, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> uh, could you imagine like, in, a, in a museum, like, of quotes oh, and Jesus, pictures, no. like a black and white picture? They'd they have to have, like, the asterisk, so yeah. they wouldn't print it. You'd be like NSF. You need to like you need to um print it on a t-shirt. 
Yeah. Just wear it around town. That's why she never cried. I told my dad I like suck dick. You can do But then anything. gay people be like, which daddy are you talking about? Do you know what I mean? Which daddy? <laughs> yeah, which daddy are you talking about? And then just be really weird, so. Um, but yeah. So you touched dad first. So I touched dad first. How did yeah, so you react? My dad, um, I think, knew for a long time okay. because I didn't mention girls. I never talked about girlfriends. Um, I was always hanging out with girls and all the things that I said that I was doing as a child. I wasn't interested in sports as much. Uh, and then, yeah, so I remember... See, I find it quite interesting that you still define things as like manly or feminine and are defining like sports as manly because that sometimes makes me a little bit like... No, but I, I, mean? I agree with you. I say that, but I totally agree with you, right? Because I know very many gay men who yeah. absolutely love sport. So when I hear those yeah. generalisations, I'm a bit like... But I I always, it's a stereotype, right? Yeah. I meant that stereotype is what I'm trying to say. Really. Okay, okay. But, um, so it's more, yeah, I yeah. guess in, in your dad's eyes, who probably only knew the stereotypes yeah. of someone who identified exactly. as gay. Yeah. Those are the warning signs, warning yeah. signs. Like, yeah, evidence that he would have. Okay, okay, I'm with you. You're with me? Yeah. Brilliant. So then, um, yeah, and he knew, he, I guess he just always guessed and was waiting for me to sort of say it. And, um, I just, it makes me really sad that he waited. Yeah, he wouldn't. But, he had no but that's the in Indian culture. You don't talk about heterosexual sex mm -hmm. anyway. So why would you ask your son if he's gay? I guess, but even in like white families yeah. that I know, they've they've had the idea, but they've been too afraid to yeah. to ask. Actually, yeah, most and parents like, will, will wait. Yeah, as well, yeah, and I just, maybe it's because they don't know how deeply that person is struggling. So they yeah, don't they also, don't feel like they need to put that sort of lifeline out and mm -hmm. create that line of communication. Yeah. But I don't know, it feels so important that if you if you think someone's going through something, maybe you don't explicitly say it, but just say, I'm here and yeah. I love you and whatever you tell me it won't change how I feel. Like to give them that lifeline. Yeah, anyway, yeah. But I also think that there's um, a little bit of a miss sort of educational response that some parents will give where they say yeah but I didn't want to ask because I thought I don't want to trigger the idea Jeez. you know what I mean so yeah. there's that I, aspect yeah. as well, well um, that seems very very misinformed yeah but. so there's that aspect too um, but yeah so then I sat down it was so funny I was upstairs and I was supposed to be revising for my I think it was second year university exams and um, I then ended up on YouTube as you do when you procrastinate and I just started <laughs> watching um, Ricky Martin's coming out video to Oprah um, that entire interview that he did. He was the first male celebrity. I think it was him, Sam Smith, and Ellen DeGeneres were uh -huh. three celebrities at the time that had I discovered were all gay or who came out during the time. Well, Ellen was a long time ago, but I discovered yeah, the show during yeah. that time. And do you know what? Ellen DeGeneres is a saviour of mine because during my period of depression, I discovered her show. I saw that she was an absolute boss-ass female who was open about her mm -hmm. wife and her sexuality and had all these millions of people, not just in America, but across the world, her. literally worshipping her, but loving her. She's doing so much kindness for the world. Mm -hmm. And I, it really, that was my first experience on such a grand scale of seeing people still love you regardless of that, right? And sexuality isn't an issue for so many people, right? So then I was like, wow, so I want to be like her. So my sexuality doesn't define me, it doesn't define my limitations in life. And it, in actual fact, it can make people respond to me better, right? Because if, if I feel like I'm always so much more drawn to people who are comfortable in yeah. themselves. Like I always use this example of like when people are dancing. Yeah. 
if there's someone on the dance floor who's doing their little two-step and is a little bit they don't want to go all out because they want to look cool and everything. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. I don't want to dance with you. No, absolutely you not. Look, yeah. To me, you look like a Muppet. Yeah. Whereas the person that maybe technically they're not such a good dancer, but if they look like they're having a whale of time and they're throwing themselves around, like, I want to be with you. Like, yeah. You look cool. That's, that's you know, right. it's that's, that's, that thing of like, I'm you're not right. fully comfortable in who you are and you're just having a great time. Yeah. People want to hang out with you. They want to... It's so true, but then it's also quite cringy though because I, there's been so many moments where um, I've been on a night out and I remember clearly where I, I dance, I like to dance, Good. I really love to dance. We still need my house. Right, yeah. <laughs> I really love to dance. And so I remember being at my friend's staff work party and I was dancing on the floor. He went the dance floor, I did. <laughs> right, and then people came on the dance floor. But I, just, I have had moments where people come over to me like, yeah man, go you. And do your best stuff. And I'm just like, I didn't need your support. <laughs> but then I'm like, wait, do they think that I'm embarrassing? <laughs> uh, yeah, the fact that they tell you to do it but don't join you. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so, wait, well, I think I'm a great dancer anyway. But, um, yeah, so there's that. I totally agree with you. Um, I'm definitely for people dancing and letting themselves loose. Um, there's no time to be shy mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. anymore. No time to be shy anymore. Uh, but yeah, so it came out to my dad. I was watching some interviews, came downstairs. And he was watching Match of the Day. It was so somber. It was dark. Um, and uh, he, he was hitting out the lights on. He was watching. Yeah, you know, I think he was falling asleep in the sofa like his dad's do. And I just sat opposite him and I just said, Dad, I need to talk to you. Really nervous. My heart beating fast. Sweaty palms. Sweaty palms. Wanted to throw up. But then I was like, I can't throw up at this moment. You know, I've got to like, make sure it's... Uh... Make sure I actually say what I want to say. But you know what? You know what's difficult? Is that like, when you know that you're about to change somebody's life with this news, like they're never going to see me again the same. They're never going to think of my future the same. Everything they thought about me is going to be completely different. It's so interesting. It was so hard to say those words mm. because I was like, it's going to change his entire life going but forward. But it's so interesting that it's it's him you were thinking of yeah. in his life that would change. Yeah. And I guess that just goes to show the weight that you felt of his expectations. Yeah. Of the way that you would be. Yeah. You know, the fact that in at least in your perception, he had your life figured out in his head of the path that you would go down. Absolutely, yeah. That, yeah, I, I struggled to wrap my head around that, of, of that feeling, the responsibility. That's, that's what led to my, my um, sexuality struggle, you know, be a lot harder than I guess. Um, for people, because it was the level of expectation my parents had for me and yeah. made it obvious that they wanted me to follow. I had that failure experience at university. The sexuality thing was then going to make me feel like I was going to fail even, as a son. Yeah. And I just saw fail. I, even now I have a fear of failure all the time. I don't like to fail. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something I'm working on. But those are two big moments in my life, pivotal moments in my life. Um, that made me feel you know, that way. So then I took it really hard. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it was going to come out. Like, yeah, it was going to come out. Yeah. Uh, but, so I sat <laughs> at him and then I just said, Dad, I'm, and then paused. And he literally was like, what? Because I was interrupting match of the day. <laughs> and he said, um, have you got somebody pregnant? <laughs> like, oh, the opposite. And he was like, what's the opposite of getting somebody pregnant? And I just, it still took me about another minute to say gay. And then he, you could just feel, you could, like, he didn't look at me. He was watching the TV the entire time and he didn't look at me. Didn't react, didn't move, didn't flinch. And he just did this sort of like, like, sigh. Sigh and just like, 
as if um, and kind of expected it was going to happen one day, it's happened now, I have to deal with this, <laughs> right? And he just looked at me and in that moment he was just like, and? And I was like, I'm so confused. <laughs> Did like, you feel almost kind of deflated because you were expecting yeah. some kind of reaction? So, like, my entire life, I've been waiting for this moment. And in my head, it's been such a, like, a dramatic yeah. thing where, I, you know, coming out videos on YouTube, like, this YouTuber saying, I was wailing, I broke down in tears. They you know, cried with they me. They cried, yeah, I was yeah. inconsolable. And I was like, I was waiting for that uh, moment. But up until that moment, though, to come out, I had to prepare myself a lot mentally to do that. So I prepared myself to, although it sounds horrible, until that point I had to essentially convince myself that no matter the reaction of your parents, if they don't love you anymore, you have to be okay with that, right? You have to distance yourself from them. And I, I had a backpack, I told my friend that I was coming out, and I said to her, look, I might be having to live with you. Oh, bless I don't know where I'm gonna be going, so, um, yeah. And I could tell from her voice that she understood but, you know, she was a, a, my university mate, she was studying for exams too, and then to have, you know, a homeless LGBT friend mm -hmm. having to come and crash for a gym revision period, it was a burden on her. And I could totally understand that she was like, fuck that now, mm -hmm. can't you wait? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> can't you wait? So, but I was like, no, it's now or never, you don't understand, yeah. like, as, because yeah. she was straight. This yeah, time. and I just feel like I have to say it now. And I've never had that moment in my life, I was waiting for that moment in my entire life, and that's when it arrived. And so, I just went down and said it, and he didn't react. And I said, do you want to give me a hug? It was it was very neutral, it was very poker face. And I said, do you want to give me a hug? And he said, no. And then my mom came home, like weirdly at that moment. So then they were going out for dinner, and then he went out for dinner. And then my mom called me and said, what's wrong with your dad? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, he's not talking, he's really, really weird. And he's really like not with it. I don't know what's wrong with him. Did something happen at home? And I was like, no, everything's fine. Um, and then he came home and then he said, to my mum, oh yeah, me and Sam are going to go and get dessert or something, or a coffee or whatever. And I was like, okay. And the mum was like, right. And then she thought that we had a massive argument, and she thought there was something going on between us, and you know. Um, but she let it go. She didn't ask any more questions. She was like, oh whatever, they, they can sort yeah, that out. And then I remember my dad asking me these questions that he had, um, which showed me how much he didn't know. So he asked me if I fancied him in the family. In the family, um, wow. Uh, he asked me if what I was planning to do with it, right? So what are you going to do with that, like being gay? What are you going to do with that? Uh, you know, and I was like, well, and I started talking about, you know, when I get married, and he was like, whoa, 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 married, right? And he was like, almost as if marriage wasn't even an option. And uh, what else did he say? He was just like, I kind of knew, I was waiting for you to say, but, you know, and then he went um, on a website later when we got home. He's like, look, I found this thing. It says that, you know, there's conversion classes. And then he tried to pitch conversion therapy to me. And I was like, dad, look at the name of the website. And he was like, www.christiansomething.net. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay. He's like, Which uh, is the lesser of two evils in yeah, your mind. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then, then, so I could tell that he was very misinformed, didn't really know a lot about it. And then, yeah. uh, so that was an experience that I had where I always tell LGBT youth nowadays, like, when you're coming out to parents, you may have come out of the closet, but they've now got in the closet, mm -hmm. you know? They're where you just were. They, yeah, and you've dealt with that for 10 years. You've had the need to go out and research stuff. They never had that, right, unless they're bisexual and stuff themselves, you don't know.
but they've never had that because they're straight people. They've never had to go out and research anything about being LGBT. You're now their sole educator and you're the best educator they can have because they love you, right? So they're going to listen to you. And I know that isn't for a lot of people, but for, you know, anybody with sane parents, I guess, out there, you know, that's um, yeah. what you can expect. And so then I started telling him, I started just talking to him. I was like, you know, when did you know you were straight dad? And I think that was a penny drop moment for him when he realised, oh, I didn't realise I was straight. And I was like, so when did you think, you know, I chose to be gay? And then when I started turning everything um, that he was asking me around to him about his sexuality, he then started to realise how weird it was. Mm -hmm. To be asked To be asked those yeah. things, yeah. And that was sort of the turning moment for him. And then funnily enough, now, four years later, my dad will say, oh yeah, I used to go gay while I was younger. So I was like, so you knew loads of stuff, but you still <laughs> that ignorant. Right? And he was like, yeah, it was a fun night out. It was always cheap. It was one pound entry. And I was like... I thought you were saying it was a fun night out with you. Like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> it was just, a fun night out beating yeah. you and making you tell was me like, this stuff. I was like, entry into who? I was like... <laughs> 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 sure. But um, yeah, then now my dad, like, literally... Because um, I did the BBC News thing. Yeah. And um, I, asked, I called him and said, are you okay with that? And he was like, look, you could be on a billboard with the word gay written over your oh. forehead. And I would be proud and say that was my That's so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so we just had a brief pause where we were told that our lab manager was leaving, but we will carry on. <laughs> we'll um, carry on. So where were we? Your dad's reaction, um, he'd be happy if you were on a billboard with gay across your yeah, forehead. Yeah, gay across my forehead. Which is actually a very, very lovely thing yeah. to say. In a weird way, it was very nice yeah. to say that to me. I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, and then... So then coming out to my mum, no, I came out to my brother after that. Mm -hmm. And your brother's older. My said. brother's older yeah. than me. He, me and him had quite different upbringings in the sense that he went to um, the local comp school, um, which was full of very many um, uh, Muslim kids um, and um, kids that got into the wrong crowd, basically. Uh, and whereas I went to a grammar school, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not saying that that's why, that why is that, thing. um why was that choice made? It's interesting that... Well, because me and my brother are so different academically. Right, okay. We're literally like chalk and cheese. He's so, so it was we're more so to different. sort of follow your, what you were yeah, into. Okay, yeah, okay. my brother just did not like studying. He hated right. it. Whereas I was, I was a little golden child. Mm -hmm. I did that. Um, and so he was with the very wrong crowd. That was, you know, the kind of homophobic crowd that you can imagine. Uh, whereas I went to more of a liberal school, I guess, in a way, even though I had that experience with that teacher. But... You know, the kids there were more understanding, I guess, to an extent, um, of what, you know, possibilities they were in life and stuff. Uh, but they were still homophobic, not to say yeah. the least. Uh, but yeah. And so, he, my brother had, like, homophobic views, just like, he, he would say it, he would be casually homophobic all the time around me, um, which affected our relationship mm -hmm. growing up because we were so different. Um, so I hid away from him, just didn't even, like, have a, didn't go out and didn't hang out with him, um, and that sort of stuff. And then, so we had a mutual friend, Charlotte, who I absolutely love to bits. And she worked at the restaurant that me and my brother worked at. Um, and <clears throat> she was a waitress there. I was a waiter, my brother worked in the kitchen. Sounds like a film, like a storyline yeah. of a film. She was a waitress, I was a waiter. <laughs> <laughs> and then we fell in love. No. Uh, so yeah, and then her and my brother became really good friends. And then I became friends after they yeah. did. Um, because obviously we'd go home together in the car, we'd have like fun um, time just singing really old 90s cheesy songs nice. from, from when we were kids. When we were kids. 
um, like blasting, there's nothing better than driving down an A road, blasting S Club 7. Man, yeah. <laughs> at 2 a.m. Fully, fully at, busted. Yeah, exactly. After a long day at work and you're leaving at 2 a.m. because restaurants are obviously really mm -hmm. busy, right? And you leave like stupid hours in the morning and just singing stupid songs. Like, those are some, those are some good times. Anyway, so we, I got really close to Charlotte and then she as well was asking me, you know, anything about girlfriends and stuff. She's like, have you got a girlfriend? And I said, Charlotte, I'm gay. And she was like, shut up, no, you're me. You know, as if to be like, that's not a possibility. And then I was like, really? Have a look at my Tumblr. <laughs> oh, you had a secret Tumblr. I had a secret Tumblr oh. where I just looked at shirtless guys all the time. And, <laughs> and obviously like, you know, um, LGBT stuff. Uh, which was inspiring to me. Tumblr, Tumblr and Ellen DeGeneres saved my life back in the And Tyler Oakley, because I discovered his vlogs then as well. And uh, yeah, and then, then she believed me. She thought, oh, okay. And she said, oh, okay. Um, have you told your brother? I said, no. And she kept it to herself. And I said, please don't talk to him about it. I want to talk to him in my own time. And lo and behold, they went on a night out together, right? And she got drunk and she told him, because my brother started talking about, he was like, oh, when Sam has got and Sam has a wife. She was like, for God's sake, I'm going to have a go. She was like, can I take? Because that's when she realised how it was impacting me. Because, you know, then she realised how it was to be my shoes to have to listen to somebody say that. Yeah. And then she said, sounds gay, she told him. And then apparently they had a long conversation about it, a deep conversation, drunk conversation, when they got back to hers. And then he came home the next day, and I remember just like I was on the laptop, and he was like, is it true? I was like, is what true? And he goes, Charlotte told me that you're gay. And I said, well, yeah, and I didn't look at him, I was like, oh my god. Uh, and uh, he was just like, I said, do you want to talk about it? He goes, no. And it took him time to process it, and then within yeah. like three months, he was introduced to me to guys, so. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah, but before that, he was very homophobic. And my dad tried to test the waters with him mm -hmm. after I came out to my dad, because he was like, oh, we have to break it to him quite gently, because, you know, we know that he's a bit of a, an aggressive kind of, you know, lunatic sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the wrong thing. Hi Sam's brother, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so then um, my, my dad detested what was with him, he was like, no, if Sam was gay, like if anybody in the family was gay, like I, I'd happily beat them up and go to jail, thinking it was funny to say that. Right. But you know. it's interesting that both of those sort of coming out stories are quite anticlimactic for you. It's like, do you want to talk about it? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you want to hug me? No. No. <laughs> like, no. You had this kind of big thing in your yeah. head, it's so interesting. And it was just like a no. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. But you gotta remember that at that point, I got to a stage where I was like, if my family doesn't accept me, if my family doesn't want to- I have like, my backpack. I have my backpack, yeah. and I had to not care. Jeez. Right. I had to really not care. Mm -hmm. And I did get quite cold with my family at that point. I guess it's that kind of, I can't just pretend I don't care, like I actively have to shut off yeah. that side. Yeah. Which is horrendous that that is something you had to think about. Yeah, I absolutely. really cannot which is why fathom being in that position. Is. Yeah. Which is why I don't want anybody else to go yeah. through that. Because it was so effing awful. Mm. Destructive. Just awful. Um, and then mum <laughs> was a challenge. My dad said to me that, um, he said to me, okay, we need a plan of action. It was like a family meeting. Right? Like an intervention. Yeah, because my brother was like, I'm going to tell mum. What is going on. When they got comfortable with the idea yeah. of it themselves, they're like, how So, what on? was the time frame? So, your dad knew first, then like. Then what, my brother knew a year later. A year? Yeah. See, in my head, these are like weeks or months. No, 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 it was yeah. a year later. Wow. So, also, my brother got comfortable with it because at work, everybody knew that I was gay already. So, um, it wasn't like a big coming out thing there? Yeah. 
and there he got to work. He was like, guys, my brother's gay. And then I remember my manager at the time, Zach, said, what's your problem? And nobody reacted in a way that I really thought they would react. Everyone's like, yeah, why are you so weird about it for? And then that was his like, wake up call that in the real world, mm-hmm. outside like, of this kind of community bubble that he had, that he grew up in, people don't care and it's totally normal. And then he was like, oh, and then that changed for him. And that was his sort of turning point with mm-hmm. it. And then anyway, so with mom, she's so traditional, you know, so, so traditional, so religious. And uh, she, it was Father's Day that I accidentally came out to her because my dad said we have to ensure that we have to break to gently again and we're going to tell her probably when you're not 30, you know, you're settled, you've got a career behind you, you know, and she's going to start thinking of you being married. We'll let her know then, yeah? Because then, yeah, she'll be older. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> if like, it's a horrible relationship from there, you won't have to yeah, deal with it for as at long. At least your childhood's <laughs> over, do you know what wow. I mean? Sort of stuff. I was like, okay, fine. Um, and I just went along with it, I was like, yeah, sure. But then it got tough, you know, mm. when my mum is the only person in my life that doesn't know anymore, because I was out to family and friends. No, sorry, not family. Well, yeah, mum and dad and the rest of my friends. But my mum and, like, my extended family didn't know. And my dad said for my extended family, it would be a dinner when I was again when I was in my 30s, celebrate my birthday, and we'll just reveal it, add it over a like toast. Like a birth, baby gender reveal. Yeah, like... like over a toast. That sounds good. A fancy Gosh. restaurant. You know, like a proper flea bag dinner moment. <laughs> Yeah, with George sitting at the table. Yeah. Um, and I was like, sure, great yeah. idea, Dad. I, I totally agree. But because I didn't have to deal with it then, it wasn't something that mm. I was going to have to deal with mm-hmm. then. I was like, well, I've dealt with deal it. Deal with it I was like, whatever, yeah. we'll get to it. Yeah. I was like, this is my 20s. I want to be successful. And success comes from confidence, right? And confidence comes from being comfortable with yourself. And you're only able to be comfortable with yourself when people know who you yeah. are and you're okay with that. Right? So that's why coming out was essential for me at the age of 20 because I, I have an idea in my life that I'm an ambitious person, I want to be successful and I want to make sure that I leave an impact on the world, right? which is what I hope to do. And so I said, well, that's going to come from all these things and I need to come out to do that. And that's why I did that. And so there was a point where my brother was getting engaged to a woman that my, my mum had found for him, but then she was picking faults at her. And like, just saying, oh, I don't like her anymore, blah, 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 like, mom, you chose this girl for my brother. Um, so why are you now changing mm-hmm. your mind? And I was getting really frustrated and she couldn't understand why that was the case. Uh, and then I was arguing with her about it. And then I just remember like, getting really upset at a dinner we had on Father's Day because the topic came up again and we were talking about it. And I was like, because you're only going to get one daughter and all that's why. And then I just started sobbing. At that moment, yeah, that YouTubers yeah. were saying, well, I was inconsolable. Yeah. I had that, that moment then. Um, and then I was just sobbing on the table, like, un- like literally uncontrollably, and she was like, what happened to him? <laughs> and then my, my brother just said, mom, it's because he's gay. And then she was like, what? And then she was in a state of shock, and she started crying. I was crying. Was this in public? No, this was at okay. home with the family dinner table. I was picturing, like, yeah, he bag dinner family. No, no, dinner no, no, family, no. dinner party, like, yeah. in a fancy restaurant. No, no, no. Okay. Could you imagine? Yeah. Down. Uh, and then <clears throat> she was crying, I was crying, my brother was crying, uh, and my dad was just like, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> <laughs> what is that happening? Uh, on my day, yeah, my of all day. days, you had to do it now. Uh, and then, yeah, and then she was inconsolable because my mom's very dramatic and very emotionally unstable, anyway. Love you, mom. <laughs> and uh, she cried for like days, and then I was just like, you know, 
I can't do anything about it. Because I've come out to my brother, I've come yeah. out to my dad. Like, I have to keep dealing with this emotional mm -hmm. burden of how people are going to react to me. Like, I can't just be me, you know what I mean? And by the time I was back to my mum, it's like, third time around. I know I'll survive it. I know I'll survive it. Just let her do what she's got to do. And then, eventually she stopped crying. I was like, mum, why were you so upset for? And she goes, I don't agree with you being gay and I don't think that it's normal, natural, and I don't fully support it, but I understand now that that was a cause of your depression. Right. Uh, and everything so everything started her. making sense. Sense for her about right. why I was the way I was when I was a teenager. And then she was like, I can't believe that that's what you were going through and you couldn't tell me. She goes, I feel so bad as a mom that you couldn't tell me that and you suffered in silence from, because I told her that I knew since I was eight. Yeah. And she was like, and you what, 20 years? And she was for 12 years you knew and you didn't tell me, 12 years. And she just kept crying. She's like, I can't believe my son knew right. something. So it, was, it wasn't, the tears weren't for the fact that you were gay, it was yeah. the fact that you couldn't tell her. Yeah. Well. And people don't believe me when I say that because they're like, you're very Muslim Asian mom was crying because you couldn't tell her. But like, yeah, the aspects of her personality, perhaps that she's Muslim and Asian, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the biggest part of her identity is the fact she's your mother. Yeah. And those instincts, most of the time, or you hope most of the time, are going to override every other instinct from every yeah. other aspect of her personality yeah. that she has. I think becoming a mum is often the biggest part of your personality then yeah. because you would do anything for your kids. Absolutely. Hopefully. I mean, obviously not in all yeah. cases, but... Absolutely. And I feel that like now, having a niece, knowing what I would do to like make her mm. happy, I totally understand how my yeah. mum feels, me being her biological son, um, or just her son in general, doesn't have to be biological. Mm -hmm. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and thanks for adding that. Yeah. No, no, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. And so I then I you know I totally believe her when she says that, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then she was like, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> then the challenge came for the rest of my family. Mm -hmm. But you know, fast forward a few years, I was like, do you know what? What I say for you? I feel like every time you do it, you're like, I can survive this, and I'm yeah, fine. I'm exactly. just <laughs> ticking the box. And then down. that's that's it. As soon as my family knew, and as soon as I knew that I wasn't ostracized, nothing had changed. Parents still loved me, you know, everything was fine. As soon as all that worked, I was like, you know, I'm fine, everything's life's great, cool, move on. Uh, and then there came the challenge of the rest of my family, like just always saying, when are you gonna get married? All that sort of stuff, girlfriends, blah, blah, blah. My family thought I was a virgin, I'm not even joking, like my extended family, cousins, mm -hmm. my aunts, they all thought I was a virgin because I would never talk about girls. I would never, right. my brother brought girlfriends home, I never, right? And then the first dates happened <laughs> and they found out. <laughs> They found out through first dates. Yeah, I no came way. out on national TV. And that's something... Oh my goodness, there is so much I don't know about yeah. you. <laughs> wow, I came out oh my on god, that's TV. a big thing to do. I know, right? That's how much I... That's how, like, far my mental state of mind had gone from mm. being depressed. Where I got to the point now that I'm so comfortable with myself, having gone through that really, really dark, deep phase of not wanting life. Now being like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with myself. I'm, I'm going to be on that And also, and then my, my dad told you how he said he wanted it to be at a dinner party. Um, technically it was dinner. It was. <laughs> technically it was dinner. Um, but now he says, he was mortified, like, I'm not going to lie, he was very like, why are you doing that? And my mum was mortified when she saw the advertisement. But then now they both say that's probably the best thing that could have happened really right. because it literally, the show literally showed my family. But it normalises it, it yeah. It normalised it. They were showing it yeah. as a, like a common average date yeah like it wasn't you know a, it I, wasn't a a special for yeah. same-sex couples yeah you know? it was just part of it was a part of normal program. show it was totally yeah. normalized 
it wasn't what they thought being gay meant of me being in a sailor's hat, you know, in the middle of a circle <laughs> jerk in a club, right? Um, with a semen dripping down my face. Oh, <laughs> I don't do it. Nice, nice imagery. That <laughs> yeah, like, that, and like some that. people think yeah, being gay, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. being gay is. I mean, for some people it is that, but... For you know, some straight people it's that as well. It's so. that too, yeah. <laughs> Um, but we are overly sexualised though, like yeah. people have this, yeah. you know, um, hyper-sexualised idea of what we are. Um, but they saw that it was just me having dinner with a guy and just like, they were rooting for me. They were watching the show and they were rooting for me and they were asking me, did you see him again? Mm -hmm. Rather than the questions of when did you know you were gay, what were you doing? It was yeah. like, did, did you see him again? That's so, so lovely. Yeah. I, yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking about my own experience. So. I don't, I don't even know how much I've spoken to you about it, but I, I identify as pansexual, yeah. so I'm not specifically attracted to men or women, I just, there are individuals that I'm attracted to regardless of their gender, um, and it was kind of, I have mostly dated men in my life, and I don't know if that's just because there tends to be more individuals who are men that I'm attracted to, or it's a societal thing, or I don't know what it is, but... I didn't want to reach a point with my mum that I had to tell her that I identified as pansexual rather than her just knowing. I didn't want to have a girlfriend and then have to be like, by the way mum, <laughs> I, I have a girlfriend, you know. Which I would recommend. Yeah, yeah. And, it just, and I didn't want to put that on, on my partner with this kind of awareness that I, I that when people was do embarrassed that. of them yeah. or that kind of concept. And so... Mum actually came to me having watched, what's that film with Eddie Redmayne? Oh, um, um, The Danish Girl. Yes, so yeah. she'd just watched that. And then she'd read some things about Thai lady boys and wanted to talk about kind of gender transgender concepts, people yeah. and, and all of these things. And so I felt she was very curious. She was just, she really was interested and wanted to understand it. And I couldn't educate her that much because I don't know that much about it. So. I kind of saw that as my chance of like, okay, we're on the subject of, of kind of non-heteronormative, yeah. let's sort of follow this path. The LGBT spectrum. Yeah, yeah. and so I kind of said to her, so what, what would you do if I brought a girl home, Mum? And she said, how would you always bring girls home? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I mean, like, as a girlfriend, not like just as a friend. Oh, right, okay. Because she, you know, I have so many female friends, she's like, what kind of question <laughs> is that? Like, we're always girls. Yeah. Um, and I said, no, you know, as a girlfriend. And she sort of looked at me and she said, well, are you, like, are you, are you telling me for a reason? And yeah. I sort of said, no, like, there isn't someone, but there might be, you know, and, and I don't want to have this conversation at that point. Yeah. And she sort of said, well, you know, we we love you and, and we were welcome into oh. the home, but just just bring home a nice boy instead. And <laughs> I was like, God. And yeah. at the time, I think because I... I don't know if part of it is because the, the kind of culture that I grew up in was very individualised and very independent, so there's not the kind of, from, from what you've told me about Asian culture, mm -hmm. or Indian culture specifically, there isn't the kind of, your parents have these expectations of you, it's very yeah. much like you're your own person, you can be yeah. anything you want, you can do this, you can do that, you can be who you want to be, yeah. and so I didn't have the same pressures of like their own expectations, yeah. and my parents are very liberal and very yeah. open-minded anyway so and so I knew that was more of a I think that was her way of saying of releasing the ideas that she had had of that I would definitely get married to a man you know it was her sort of half joke of like 
well, I'm just going to say this because I just need to get it out. Yeah. But I'm okay with it, you know? Um, she's I would Emma, prefer... Yeah, and I, I think there's still an element of that because of kind of the traditional ideas of she would love grandkids and obviously you still can have children mm. with a same-sex partner, but it's not as easy. Yeah. You, there's procedures you have to go through. And I think, so there's that kind of heteronormative sadness that, I'm, that I might not fit that model. Yeah. But it's, it's, it was a very, I mean, she's not really asked me about dates with women or, yeah. but she doesn't really ask me about dates with men either. So <laughs> that's fine. I haven't actually told my dad. I think he is someone I would tell if there was a reason. I know yeah, that he would love me okay. and yeah. he would support me. I absolutely know that. But I also know that he probably wouldn't understand it to the yeah. same degree. Yeah. And I think it would just be harder for him to wrap his head around. And I just kind of think he's old and I don't want to... I don't know. I don't want to put that on him unless... But as, as I've said, they can surprise you. Yeah, that, now I'm saying this out loud mm. to you. I'm like, actually, you'd probably be really chill with yeah, him. You probably yeah. wouldn't care. Yeah. I think it's that thing you build it that up. That reminds me of the moment as well when I had... Um, me and my dad shared a physiotherapist. Um, this is a weird sentence, but <laughs> no, we had the same physiotherapist we spoke. But yeah, um, and she loved my dad um, because they just got on like house mm-hmm. on fire. And she would always ask me about how my dad was when I saw her, and blah blah blah. And then she asked me about girlfriends as well, and I said no, Jesse, I'm gay. And um, she said, Oh, have you told your dad? Like that was her immediate first question, and I said, um, no, I'm a bit nervous. And then she goes, oh, she goes, if I had your dad, I'd totally be okay to tell wow. him. Your dad's really cool. And then he took somebody from the outside to tell me that, oh, shit, yeah, I do have a really cool dad. That's so interesting. Yeah, That's and saying really... it out loud made me feel like, oh, actually, actually yeah. it's not, yeah. So he's reminded me of that. But, yeah, yeah. I think, um, especially with how you are as a person, I think your parents would be okay with it. I absolutely know they would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I told my brother that wasn't even a thing. It was yeah. just kind of an offhand comment. And I think he appreciates the fact that I can appreciate other mm. women with him. And he's kind of like, oh, this girl's hot. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the, the most sort of intimate experience that we yeah. have in terms of sharing stuff. We don't really bear our inner feelings too much. But that wasn't a big thing. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't kind of hugely momentous yeah. moment for me. It was just a sort of, might as well do it now. <laughs> just tell him. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that you hadn't told your dad that. No. And now I've said it out loud, I'm kind of like, maybe I should. Because yeah. if this was my friend, I would fully encourage that they yeah. tell him. Because it's Absolutely. not a thing, you know. But, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Big moment to... <laughs> but then, you know, it's, it's funny that... Although we would love to live in a world where we don't have to come out, mm. coming out stories have such a, such a beauty to them in a way. I mean, not everybody's is so like great, but yeah. for some people, there's such an arc in their life, of uh, there's such a defining moment, such a powerful moment in their life that you know you get to share. It's a shared experience that so many people have, and it allows people to bond. And I like that, like when you go on dates and stuff. And you can share that. You can share the yeah. coming out stories. And I guess people. that, again, that's going back to the vulnerability of mm. they're telling you about exactly. their most vulnerable moment. It is your most vulnerable moment. So it's exactly. a really intimate experience you can share with someone you don't know that well. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. So in a weird in a weird way, 
people will lose that in the future, but you want that to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. So bittersweet. Bittersweet, yeah. Bittersweet farewells are coming out. Can you imagine like, me being that old ninety-year-old in a wheelchair, being like, I remember the days I of coming remember out. Remember the days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, granddad, tell us you're coming out story again. Oh, oh, I hope so. That would yeah. be cool. You'd be a wonderful granddad. I, I wouldn't be. I, I wouldn't be saying. Now. Oh, thank you. I wouldn't be You'd saying that. Huh? You did great with grey hair. You did great with grey hair. Do you reckon? I've got two already. I saw them in the back of your head. <laughs> uh, no, there's two here. And there's, oh no, there's some back of your head. Like there, I've been told. <laughs> oh no. But I've got a big patch there as well that's now going black again. But the thing is, that's um, remnants of um, my mental health struggle. Because you know when they say that white hair comes out mm -hmm. when you're stressed as well, mm -hmm. I definitely have that. So that I had loads of white hair. And then now it's going you away. You look like really distinguished. Mm. I it got really bad where I was losing pigmentation in my skin as well on my face. Which was sad. Everybody called me Michael Jackson. <laughs> but it went back to normal. Yes. Um, oh, on that yeah. on that note, I think we're gonna have to pause this yeah. because this is quite a long, it quite is, a long podcast. Sorry, yeah, that's why no, when I started my perfect. coming out story. Um, no, man, I'm I'm so grateful yeah. that you agreed to participate, and I'm glad that I know some more, more about, about your life. Yeah. yeah. Really I nice. still feel like I don't know a lot about you though now. Ah, you just have to listen to the other yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's, just, yeah. <laughs> that's part of the plan. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. And no I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>